0: We have a problem every year around MLK Day because the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., for some reason, has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. Good evening. Hi, I am your host, Sharon Hinton here live on another session, another episode, another moment for you to bring your consciousness, your knowledge, your critical thinking, your information to build a nation to another level. This is on another level, and as you know, I have these amazing guests all the time, and I want to thank producer and my friend, Haywood Fennell, for bringing this beautiful jewel, this literary jewel, Miss Alda Witherspoon, to my attention because I had another guest scheduled for tonight and then they couldn't make it. But you know, there is so much information and so much, so many wonderful things happening in the community that other stations and other broadcast companies don't cover. I don't know why. I think it's worth something. However, there was a station that covered this. Another part of our operation, Boston Neighborhood Network News, did a piece and then she is so noted, Ms. Alder Witherspoon would get lit and her Witherspoon Institute. We're gonna learn about that and what you can do to support her and support literacy by getting lit here on another level. Don't go anywhere, get this information.
1: I, I am, am, am
2: so intelligent,
1: so intelligent.
2: The day was all about children's literacy. But youth enjoyed the extra perks of song and affirmations at the Witherspoon Institute's Get Lit event at Roxbury Branch Library. Wednesday was the Boston launch of the Institute's Five-City Book Band Tour, which kicks off monthly interactive WinKids book clubs in libraries and Black-owned bookstores. The National Literacy Initiative, Get Lit!, encourages young people to ignite their light, read, write, get lit, as it addresses the racial learning gaps exacerbated by two years of remote learning.
3: This is a post-COVID learning crisis initiative. It's specifically geared towards helping children get acclimated with literacy. Uh, We have found that the literacy rates are down even more so before COVID. We have found that it's exponentially down. Harvard University did this huge study across the nation, and it talked about it having disparities between racial and economic lines. And so we want to make sure that communities were made aware that this really is an issue, that it's not a figment of your imagination. It's something that we as a community need to address as a whole.
2: For National Literacy Chair Attorney Joseph D. Feaster Jr., it's crucial that child education not be contained to the classroom, and it starts with the library and the entire community.
0: We have to take our children's learning outside of what they may be learning in the classroom. This is a place where you do additional learning, you do additional research, you find things and issues that you like and love. This is opportunity for we as adults to help with that whole, that whole transition in the sense of uh, uh, bolstering the educational opportunities for these young people. So, the program that we're talking about today is is an opportunity in order to do that, and my hope is that we will be successful, that we can uh, not do this in a singular sense, but in a collaborative sense.
2: Speakers engage kids with games and icebreakers before sharing some of the consequences of illiteracy. I am the chair of education here for the city of Boston, and I'm also the chair of workforce development. And in my time in office, um, what I realized is that, you know, a lot of the work that I did was around dismantling the school-to-prison pipeline. Because what I learned when I was doing education advocacy is that a lot of our kids were struggling to read and write. But that was not an issue that was being identified when they were being kicked out of school. Attendees bonded over books and reading circle breakout sessions led by book lovers and city leaders, all realizing how reading creates possibilities and the transformative power of the library, a life-affirming space.
0: I hope that not only will we expose them to reading, but back to this notion of libraries. Libraries were the things that saved me as a child because I could go on journeys. In my mind, my mental models of the world were prepared by those books that I read. And I could, my imagination just sort of, just went to new heights. And so I've been all over the world in my imagination and now to be able to do it as an adult, connect all those things i understand the power of that kind of intellectual exchange so that's what we want for these children today
2: i believe it's a cycle because the desire to learn breeds literacy literacy expands your desire to learn and as that cycle builds it creates a strength in you not only confidence but knowledge and understanding about how you're going to move forward and the ability to create and imagine where you're headed. And to be able to do that with others. Reading is like music. You can do it together. You can read the same book. You can read it at the same time. You can reflect on it together. And this builds skills for communication, but it also helps us really think about who we are to know our past, to understand our future. So uh, literacy is at the center of so much um, in, in, in developing ourselves as people and developing our culture and really bringing equity to this nation in a way we haven't experienced it yet.
0: Thank you and welcome back. I'm Sharon Hinton. I'm here with my wonderful guest, Queen uh, the Witherspoon, the founder and CEO of the Witherspoon Institute. Welcome.
1: Thank
3: you so much for having me.
0: I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. Education is my thing. And when I found out that um, you have this whole initiative between, between all around getting lit and also you know, the follow-up to the learning loss that happened during the pandemic. And then you had this particular event. And so thank you, Boston Neighborhood Network News, for doing this piece. It was wonderful. I saw a lot of people that I know in there. Keith Motley and I actually went to school at Northeastern together. I've been around a little while. <laughs> and then um, Nika Elgado and Julia Mejia, who's actually the chairman of the Education Committee at City Council, mm-hmm. the City Council, at Live City Councilor. And so when you see people that buy into this concept, And Keith Motley talked about, well, that was one of the places that I went as a sanctuary for me, that opened up worlds for me. And all the beautiful children and young people that were in that renovated library, which I haven't been at yet, but I was going down there and having community meetings. And the library is not just a place that you go to read books. There's so many other things that are happening there. So what drew you? Because you and I talked yesterday for a little while what drew you into this because you actually had another life that you were doing and you can talk briefly about that other life and then you told me about you know a voice she's not crazy y'all a voice that told her (laughs) that this is your purpose this is what you need to do you need to leave that and do this so talk a little bit about what you were doing before and why you're doing this and why this is so important
3: So my background is in the arts. Um, I started off as a singer, a poet, a playwright, and I was quite successful with my playwriting career. And from that, I ended up working for the city of Boston as Director of Public and Private Partnerships in the Mayor's Office of Arts and Tourism, where I did all kinds of white glove events from Michelle Obama to uh, President Clinton to all the governors to pay um, you know people bryson i mean it just the list goes on and on and so i took those skills and began the Woodspoon institute 17 years ago uh, we've do- always done performing arts uh, we are a think tank for youth in the arts we teach leadership etiquette in performing arts that includes uh, singing dancing acting directing and producing and over these 17 years, we came up with this concept on our leadership front called the Strategic Leadership Investment Plan. And the mm-hmm. first time I did that, we had um, the Haitian earthquake uh, here at, you know, across the world, and everyone was gathering around that. We were trying to tell our young people, what is that? Why is that? How is this? And we began to make a quilt, our little squares, and we'd write little messages, and mm-hmm. we strung it all together, and... The quilt grew and grew and grew, and so Simon Mall decided they would sponsor us to take it to a statewide level. And we went around the state, and it was very endearing. People were really, um, you know, critically involved. And I said, "Hmm, I think I could take this to another level. Let's take this to the United Nations." People like. United Nations. I was like, let's do it. So I started calling folks, um, you know, and as you can see, um, I, you know, I have been well indoctrinated in politics. So there's a wealth of people that I know from that, um, world. And I talked to Marie St. Fleur and she said, yes, absolutely. You know, I'll back you on that. Linda Dorsena Foray also, um, was in office at that time Senator, and yeah. Senator. Yep. And, and, um, they both, uh, you know, said definitely let's do this. And so the next thing I know, I have you know the seven top states where Haitians have been involved. Took planes, took buses. We had France, we had Canada, we had um, Haiti. Um, everyone flew in to the United Nations. We had Mayor David Dinkins uh, as our keynote speaker. And unfortunately, the Haitian government somehow they got our paperwork mixed up, and they thought that the date was one date and it was another. So. I always make lemonade out of lemons. And so I added another day. So it became a two day event. Oh, and yeah. so the children of New York got an opportunity to come to the United Nations because. Interestingly enough, when I was a young child, I used to go to the United Nations quite often. I grew up in New York um, during the summer times, um, but now they don't allow children into the United Nations. Really? So when they found out that I was doing this program and I invited them to come, droves of buses from across New York showed up at Is the that United because Nations. Because nine eleven
0: and stuff, they started shutting things down.
3: I think so. Um, and they, then COVID just made it worse. Well, that's like a whole other thing because. This was like five years ago. So oh, wow. right. So um, so that being said, they were very engaged and interested uh, to come. And so the f- day one was around children and explain to them, once again, you know, the Haitian crisis and day two was an international prayer breakfast. So that was the first time we did the strategic leadership investment plan. But during that process, I found out that I really had to have a team around me Mm -hmm. because it was a heavy lift. Mm -hmm. It was tremendous. I was in and out of New York all the time. I was working full time. I was full time mother, you know, my fiance. I mean, I just I had a lot going on and it was a tremendous strain on me. It was very successful. But I said the next time I do this, you know, so fast forward to Get Lit, um, we were looking at some of thir- rather 66 slides. I'd done a great deal of research around literacy, um, particularly from the black point of view. Uh, Black authors, Black publishing, um, how to get your books, you know, out into the world, you know, uh, online versus in person, Mm -hmm. the whole nine yards, because I'm writing two books of my own, an anthology um, from the works that I've done over the past 30 years with uh, poetry, prose, uh, my plays, as well as passages from my forthcoming novel that's based off of my grandfather. Um, He was a big business person. Uh, in Little Rock in the 1920s, Rock, 30s, Arkansas. and 40s. Little
0: Rock, Arkansas, you know, famous for Little Rock. I just Nine. have to keep people up. Like, you say Little Rock and stuff, it's like Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. So Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. And Little Rock, Arkansas was um, very instrumental in terms of the civil rights struggle.
3: That is correct. So uh, Daisy Bates, you might recall mm-hmm. from, from that, she actually was the editor of my grandfather's newspaper, oh, wow. the Arkansas Press. And so we have a storied past in Little Rock. And so that being said, I was in Little Rock and I was talking to the head of the African American Heritage Museum from the state. And her name is Keith Fletcher. And I was telling her about, you know, some things I was thinking about. And she said, you know, give me a one pager on that. Well, that's how that 66-page document ended up because, you know, you give me a task, I not go one step, I go 20 steps, you know, beyond. And so I put a committee around that. We looked at it for a year to figure out which edge of this, you know, we would do. And by the time we got finished, there was one slide that talked about the post-COVID learning crisis. So I began to delve into that. Of course, my interest is always children with the Witherspoon Institute. We had been around 16 years at that time. And I said, you know, let me do some research on that. So Harvard University did this big study on the post COVID learning crisis that talked about a disparity on uh, economic and um, economic uh, and racial lines Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, how our children are coming out of this COVID, right? not
0: really coming out of it because they came in at a deficit anyway.
3: Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then the two years at home, it was really skunky wonky, you know, some parents were really good. Is that a (laughs) a technical term? It might be in the dictionary, I don't know. No, it's not, not like you put it together,
0: (laughs) but I hear you, I understand it, skunky wonky, okay. Skunky
3: wonky, you know. And so uh, I said, what can we do around this? So we did some further research and the document went on to talk about who needed to be involved in this. And they said the individual, which is the student, the school, and the community. And the parents, hopefully. Well, I, I guess that comes with the individual. I hope, I hope that's where this it is. This is
0: Harvard, right? This is Harvard. Okay, then that explains it. <laughs>
3: Next. Continue. <laughs> so I said, well, I raised my hand. I said, well, we're community. So mm-hmm. we decided as a community, we were going to uh, not only do it in Boston, but to uh, do it as a national initiative, because I said, this is not a local issue. It's really an international um, issue, because World Bank actually put together a document uh, along with you know various other entities that talked about $17 trillion will be lost to this generation if right. we don't get these kids back online, lost to this generation and lost wages. So that means they'll have lesser jobs
0: and on as top we, of the fact that they have lesser jobs anyway.
3: Exactly. So compound that onto the compound and you know, we're like seriously in trouble. And I don't think people are really dealing with it. I, I know, in the back of my mind, I said, you know, what did happen in those two years at home with well, these, years, with actually. these two, yeah, with these children, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I know one of my parents at the Witherspoon Institute quit her job and started making sure that her daughter actually stayed on track. And what was her job initially? She was, I think, a secretary okay. at a, an insurance company or something along that line. So she started homeschooling? She started homeschooling along with, you know, her daughter being on uh, the Boston Public School system. And how but old was her
0: daughter at the time?
3: The, what grade is she in? I think she was in the fourth grade. Oh, that's key. Exactly. Because you're talking about the bedrock of education, the fundamentals. Exactly. Exactly. So, but how many other parents could do that? Probably scarcely none. So, in in a certain economic bracket in any case. And so, I did know there was definitely a problem. So, uh, we got together, you know, as you saw, Joe Feaster and Keith Motley, and, you know, all these guys guys and everything. And so, um, you know, we got together and we formed this committee and we decided we were going to do this thing called Get Lit. So, now, Get Lit is... The reason I decided to do it nationally is that, you know, I am a producer, right? So I I know how to sort of put a program together and make sure the pieces all fit together and, you know, tie it up in a bow. And so when I started having conversations not only with the uh, community uh, folks here and the political folks and the religious folks and the school folks, um, in every single city there was never a city that said, no, I don't want that every single one said yes. We started off with 15, but that was too ambitious, so we put it down to five. So now, now five those cities? cities are Boston, New York, Little Rock, Chicago, and Atlanta.
0: Ah, so, so Boston, the first public school is here, mm-hmm. but it's still in trouble. Mm-hmm. New York, mm-hmm. we've got a bigger system, and there's political issues there, and a history of uh, black community schools trying to come together and then the Jewish teachers coming up against them mm. in the community. Then you've got Atlanta where you have um, twenty, you have teachers, 35 teachers still fighting seven years later to not go to prison supposedly for inflating standardized test grades and they're still fighting in Atlanta. And then what was the other one, Chicago? Mm-hmm. Chicago's going through stuff now mm-hmm. and we're in contact with, when I say we're, my organization, Black Teachers Matter, is in contact with Rosita Shatandra, who has filed a class action uh, lawsuit along with over 7,000 Chicago teachers mm-hmm. who are fighting, being pushed out of the public school system. And then Little Rock, where a lot of this began,
1: mm-hmm. when
0: people were just trying to go, go to school and get a quality education, Brown versus Board of Education and Little Rock 9 and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to bring people, because, you know, we're black 365, so mm-hmm. I don't wait till February.
1: <laughs>
0: you feel me? I'm not waiting until February for y'all to figure it up and catch up. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing about staying woke, but you've got to get woke before you stay woke. So in a lot of these different situations that we're talking about, um, if you can Google the TikTok something, then you need to Google this. Because this history is not necessarily being taught in the Boston public schools or in any other public school. And a lot of the curriculum and the textbooks are being uh, published in Texas. We ain't going to go into that. Um, and over thirty five states right now have legislation to keep people from knowing real American history. They keep using this 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 term critical race theory, but it 's really American history hmm. when you're talking about including the rest of the country, mm-hmm. people, black indigenous people of color, specifically black people, African Americans of this country. So what you're talking about, get lit and literacy, and I 'm going to go back to what both of our friends said. In this clip, or the clip that was previously there, um, that the library and getting this ed- education has really morphed into something different. Mm-hmm. When people and you had the setting of this was the Roxbury Library um, on Dudley Street. Just in case you didn't know, the corner of Dudley Street and Warren Street. It's had this big renovation. So, going and getting knowledge has changed between mm. our generation and this current generation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because when we were growing up, um, and I think you're a little bit younger than me, but I'm not sure. <laughs> you never know <laughs> we look good. Mm-hmm. But I remember that even if you got to go to the library, because at one point it was illegal, especially mm. down south, you, if you went into the library, there wasn't that much information about us. Mm-hmm. And so there's been this... They had a whole black section. You weren't, you couldn't
3: couldn't go to the whole library. If you went into the library, you had a section.
0: Maybe. A colored section, I should say. Come on now, because we went through that whole, (laughs) you know, maybe if you could get in there. Mm -hmm. And then you couldn't couldn't take out books either. Mm. So there was that whole piece of... um, Accessibility. Well, accessibility, resources, accuracy, historical Mm -hmm. accuracy. And then um, I remember going to school at an elite prep school, and history, I've always loved history, but in my U.S. history book was only a paragraph mm. about Negroes. Mm. And the only thing it said was we had uh, big noses, wide lips, and brown skin. It actually said that in that book. Girl, I was, I was so angry in that class. Wow. We had, and we used to be slaves. I what was year the, is this? In the 60s. Wow. And I was heated. I guess so. Heated. Right, Heated. because
3: that did not describe you.
0: Heated. Yeah. So I'm in this elite private school in this history class, and, and there were um, only a handful of us. It was all girls' school, but there were only a handful of black people mm-hmm. that were there, and some people didn't want to be black. So that was even a smaller <laughs> number of people, right, trying to assimilate <laughs> that illusion of inclusion. So, you know, in the, in the feedback and the backlash from being the only black student there, and everybody turned around and looking at you as if, oh, that must be you. Or I remember the pictures of National Geographic mm-hmm. where they had African women with bare breasts, mm-hmm. and then they're looking at you. Mm-hmm. Use the African, and mm-hmm. and back then, if you called somebody an African, then that you that may cause you to fight. If yeah, you that, was, somebody, that was an insult, right? If you call somebody call somebody black or African, you mm-hmm. better be ready to duke it out. Mm-hmm. Now, now it morphed in our lifetime. Right? It did, it did. So, but still, when you look at, you could get your information from. The news, maybe, mm-hmm. not really, mm-hmm. because I remember if you saw a black person on television, everybody in the neighborhood, big, that was a, that big, was a big, big deal, right? That was a big deal. So, oh, there's color people. And we was color back mm-hmm. then. Oh, there's a color person on TV. And you were like, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. And then the books didn't really have us reflected in there in a true light.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there was a lot of misinformation
1: mm-hmm.
0: about um, history in general, the mm-hmm. need in the Pinto the Santa Maria and George Washington with the terry tree and the whole craziness, Right. And then, but then there were schools, and I remember schools in Grove Hall. They had what was the, called the Topographical Center. And it was, a, it was an African-centered um, after-school program right in Grove Hall. Mm. And so we went there to get deprogrammed from the stuff that was happening. Now, what year is this? See, now you're going to date me now. This was also the 60s. Okay. And so... Um, there I was, have
3: no knowledge of this, so I'm, I'm in the learning there, <laughs> curve now, so I'm trying to pinpoint where you are in the history.
0: A, there was a great initiative of uh, blackness mm. during the 60s, right. right, because you had all these different organizations, and then you had different kinds of organizations on the varying part of the spectrum mm-hmm. in Boston. Mm-hmm. So you had the Freedom, Inst- Freedom House with uh, Otto and Muriel mm-hmm. Snowden, you had the NAACP, mm-hmm. you had the Mau, Mau the Nation of Islam, the Black Panthers, New England Grassroots Organization. So you had different organizations on different spectrums of blackness. Mm-hmm. But you had, and then you had Emma Lewis School of Fine Arts. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of different That's people where I went. that were, mm-hmm. you know, and for those of us who knew Sister Emma Lewis with a mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. bun up there with a the little That's pointed right. thing, she was right. no joke, right? No joke. And so we had a lot of, and then you had Gene McGuire, you had Ruth Beth- mm-hmm. Batson, Ellen Jackson, um, So, and you know, male and female. I'm saying a lot more of the females right now because sometimes we get buried like it was only brothers. It wasn't. (laughs) Um, And I know I got, uh, yeah. And so I know that um, I call those names out because those are the shoulders of greatness Mm. that we stand on. Mm -hmm. And we forget because a lot of our history has been oral history.
3: Mm. And so I
0: congratulate you on writing your books and actually doing that.
3: Thank you. I know
0: Sister Rosita Shatandra in Chicago is in the process of writing books of that whole educational struggle out there in Chicago. And she was we were on the phone for about four hours and she was blowing my mind. Wow. And so I, what I saw happening is a lot of the things were happening in Chicago would happen in Chicago and then it happened in Boston. Mm. Right. So this whole mayoral, mayoral election that's happening now with who's going to be the head of schools and who's going to be the mayor
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, is being reflected in Boston. And mm-hmm. it goes down to the superintendents and who's superintendent, who's this, who's that, who's the school leader. And, and again, I will say that Boston is the only city in Massachusetts that has an appointed school committee. Everybody else is elected. Boston is the only, only city, and it's the capital city in Massachusetts, that has an appointed, fully appointed school committee and we're gonna have, have a show about that. I've already talked to Sister Barbara Fields who is one of the co-founders of the Black Educators Alliance of Massachusetts. So we're gonna be doing a whole educational initiative where you can actually become involved. You actually, there's some action. I don't just sit here to talk here and have a meeting, and have another meeting, what a meeting, no. And you will have an opportunity, we're gonna to go to a break, but get your pens and your pencils because you will have an opportunity to support the Witherspoon Institute, the Get Lit Literacy Program and Initiative, soon we'll be right back.
2: Are you interested in learning to create television and web programming? Boston Neighborhood Network has what you need in our hybrid studio production class. Learn how to build a production in eight sessions. For more information, please head over to bnnmedia.org/backslash/services/backslash/workshops. Interested in becoming a radio DJ? Boston Neighborhood Network's 102.9 FM is offering a course of radio production that can get you started. For more information, please head over to bnnmedia.org backslash services backslash workshops.
0: And thank you so much for staying here with us. I hope you had your pens and pencils out. And if you didn't, go get it. Because we have more information, I want to say welcome back to my special guest, Queen Alda. Witherspoon, the founder and CEO of the Witherspoon Institute. Um, That piece that you just saw uh, is a really good friend of mine, T. Michael Thomas. We call him Too Much Talent. (laughs) He he just, he has, every time I talk to him, and I talk to him often, he's tinkering, banging, doing something. (laughs) Um, Recently, I was invited to be part of a forum at the St. Stephen's Youth Center in front of 30 parents. Mm -hmm. And the question that they asked us was, what was the difference between going to school back then and now, or the schools back then and now?
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: so I said, well, as a student, as a parent, or as an educator, because we're all educators. Brenda Cheney from the Boston Teachers Union was there. Um, I mentioned Barbara Fields from Black Educators Alliance in Massachusetts. Myself, Black Teachers Matter, and also Soroya Harley, who is a parent and she's an activist. So we were all on the panel sitting there talking, and um, we didn't have enough time. But the first thing I remembered was in Boston Public Schools, we had the option of shop in home economics and education. Mm-hmm. Now education, um, particularly in Boston, but across the country, is focusing people towards going to college. Mm-hmm. Everyone is not geared, and I'm saying this as a college professor, everyone is not geared to go to college. Mm-hmm. And you can get a, a, a really good living mm-hmm. out of going into the trades, and then you don't have the student loan, piece that you have to deal with Mm. but your particular initiative is literacy Mm -hmm. is this literacy geared towards just people um what is it specifically geared towards it's just geared towards people going to college and I say that because I know entrepreneurs and I also taught at Springfield College School of Human Services and taught adults Mm -hmm. and there are people who are other people's bosses who are functionally illiterate Mm. like they were the boss but couldn't read the check Mm. or couldn't read the contracts. And so they had administrative assistants and, you know, executive assistants and stuff that were doing that for them. Mm. But I had them in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so I knew it was like, whoa. And these are people that are very successful. They were adults. They were other people's bosses. Wow. So when you talk about, we're talking about the level of literacy that kids lost in terms of learning Mm loss and then the level of literacy that they need to be Mm -hmm. at in order to function, to Mm -hmm. have the building blocks in elementary school, middle school, and high school to go into college if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. But then tell me about with Get Lit, what is that geared towards? Is that every single demographic? Is that a specific um, person or people that want to go to school? Or is it for anybody?
3: So our focus was to um, start off in our community. Uh, It was focused on black authors and black bookstores so we're following oprah winfrey's guide to 127 black-owned bookstores across america along with libraries and you partnership with frugal bookstore indeed indeed and so that was our tenant was to get the library engaged to get the black bookstore engaged to get the black community engaged um and but it's not exclusive to us if other people want to come and learn about black history and black authors and you know that type of thing, because I know at Frugal Bookstores, they have all kind of manner of people that come there. So it's not exclusive to people from this community. Other communities are certainly welcome to participate, but that's our focus.
0: And they have book signings. I've Mm -hmm. I've gone down there to author signings. And they have, you know, it's really, it's, um, I wish it was bigger, and hopefully it will be, but you can actually go there, and you can sit and just read. That's true. And then, you know, the other thing I like is that it's one of those corners in Boston um, and really, you search for. Now, I find myself searching for those safe um, cocoons, kind of communities where you can go and you see us, right? Mm-hmm. You used to be able to go to Bob the Chef and you'd see a CEO from so and so, or you'd see somebody that just came in town and wanted to know where soul food was, mm-hmm. or you see a politician like, hey, hey. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of places. Um, that you can do that now, but not at the level that it used to be. And mm. so, Frugal Bookstore to me is one of those places you go in, mm-hmm. and then you see somebody else is like, "Hey, you how never you know doing? who you'll meet." You never know who you'll meet. Truly. And so, you partner now. Some of the other places you partner with Frugal Bookstore, mm-hmm. and then you partner with the Roxbury Library, mm-hmm. and then people have supported you. What? more support do you need? Like what do you need for your organization?
3: So for the infrastructure of it. You've got an
0: event coming up too so I want you to talk about that. We do, right.
3: So now mind you this is a monthly event. So every single month we're at the library, Mm -hmm. we buy the books from Frugal, we give the books to the children. It's about building their at home library because one of the things that we found exactly. when you have an at home library, you begin to see yourself differently. You begin to dream differently. You begin to have different tenants in your life that start to t- take shape and take mold. As Dr. Motley was saying, you know, he began to dream dreams and then he became a doctor, a chancellor. So the possibilities are endless in the world of books and when students actually have books that they own they cherish them it's their at-home library so that's one of the big tenets of this program but in addition to that uh, we want to uh, add on uh, tutoring to it but um, the structure that we have now we have say the Roxbury Boys and Girls Club, we have the YMCA, we have Madison Park Community Development Corporation, we have the Croc Center. We have a number of big organizations that bring their children to the site. So then we want to kind of reverse that and we want to go back to them with tutoring once we get our funding in place. But we want to get started, we want to get this conversation going, that this post-COVID learning crisis is real, that the community needs to um, gather around these children. And one of the things that we have in terms of our fundraising is twofold. One, we have this program called WINGS and it's based off of a tier of angels. And so the first one is a messenger angel and that person comes and reads to the children and uh, you know comes on a show such as this.
0: Year. Sponsorships of the program. This is
3: sponsoring okay. the children with these books because the other part of it is that this particular initiative, I, I focus it on it being a book party. It's okay. kind of like part author signing. We have authors such as Haywood Fennell will be there talking about CUDA and the magic quilt. We also have Valerie Stevens who will be there
0: doing storytelling,
3: storytelling right? We have um, uh, Steve Gooseby from. Uh, All these people I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at
0: Steve Goosby at WILD and he and I were students on. on Student radio, I've been around for a while, (laughs) y'all, on radio stations. That's awesome.
3: So he's the DJ. And so we have this, um, you know, kind of like book party, the dancing. We want it to be like high energy. Right, the 27th. And where is this going to be again? At the Boston Public Library in Nubian Square.
0: Okay. That's right. And now how do you sign up for this? Because this is the national, registration begins at 4.30. Mm -hmm. Event ends at 7.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. So it's three hours. Yes. Okay, 149 Dudley Street. Yes. You got any food? You can't have food Absolutely have
3: food. The Crux Center is cooking for us this time. The Caribbean American uh, Carnival Association cooked last month. So we have various different partners that give, you know, certain tenants, give um, monies, give, you know, their, uh, their resources. Uh, okay. Because otherwise this would be an overly expensive project. You know, if, but we always built it as community, all of us being hand in hand helping these young people get back on track, get so lit. So it's
0: all ages. Yes. Y'all come.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's it's all grade levels. Mm-hmm. It's all sorts of literacy levels. Mm-hmm. It's a community event. Yes. To get people thinking about being literate and reading. Yes. And expanding their horizons. Yes. Now, but you and I both know that reading itself, because we talk about books, mm-hmm. um, and there's a different kind of a technology. My daughter's always been an avid reader.
1: Mm-hmm. Always.
0: And we have books everywhere. We have books in the bathroom. We have books in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the environment I grew up in mm-hmm. that my father also fostered. And so my daughter, it's always been a given. That's been a given. That's not always the same way in everyone's household, but also the technology has changed. So a lot of young people are listening to books, mm-hmm. and they're also, the books are on their electronic devices. They've got e-books and stuff like that. Are the events that you're doing and the the um, part of the aspects of Get Lit, does that include that technology as well?
3: It does not. We're doing hardcover books. We're doing softcover books. We're doing a book book. We're doing book book. book. Because it's
0: something different when you have the pages. It is something
3: about having a book in your hand that just has another energy about it. And I know it's a little old-fashioned, but that's what we want to do. We want to do book books. We're we're raising the next generation of uh, book authors, the next playwright, the next... You know, we want people to be energized, get lit around literacy, uh, have it be a feel-good, everybody kumbaya. We have leaders coming to read to the children. We want to make sure that the community stays focused on these children and that it's a community affair.
0: So, okay, we talked a little bit about you went from one world to another world. Where do you want this world to be? I, I mean, usually, And I listened to you talk about strategic planning. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about strategic planning, you have a beginning, a middle and an end. Mm -hmm. Where do you see this this going? Um, Because you're doing this for is it the whole year of 2023? You're doing everything every every month,
3: every month. Right. So it's um, slated to be a school calendar year. Okay. Um, with a few other events um, during the summertime. So I plan on focusing on teens in the summertime. Uh, you know, many cities have uh, workforce development you know, opportunities, and so I'll take those kids, I'll do a 12-week course or an eight-week course, depending on what their cycle is, uh, and do leadership, etiquette, and arts development and also teach them how to uh, read to the children um, in the libraries at that point as well. So I'm kind of fostering the older kids because they're a different energy, right? Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm doing like first grade to like seventh grade right now. You know, I'm really kind of more focused in that area. But um, I want to still involve the teenagers and so I'll have them read to the children to kind of, because whenever you're a teacher, as you well know, you're learning as well. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's, a it's supposed sci- to be the it, good ones it, do. It's a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's how I'm I'm focusing it. But I plan on doing this from two to four years because this is a post-COVID learning crisis initiative. It's not exactly what the Witherspoon Institute does. It's a tenant of what we do, leadership. Okay. And so we're coming in with leadership skills and, and it's my idea to ignite these communities. Hopefully they'll keep going. You know, that's the idea, go around, lighten everybody up, get this thing going and get it moving. And uh, we have five this year. We want to add another, you know, five or six next year and, you know, just keep this ball rolling. We want the, the whole of America. Because mind you, this is not just an American problem. This is Worldwide. Oh, I'm yeah. glad you
0: brought that up because there's a significant population that are not their first language, not English. Mm-hmm. So if you've been able to adapt what you're doing to other um, communities mm-hmm. whose first language is not English, mm-hmm. so do you have like? Uh, I mean, whenever I've had to do a meeting or something, especially when I was um, dealing with a lot of parents, a lot of community you have, it's like the UN, like you said. Mm -hmm. So you have to have Haitian Creole, Cape Verdean Creole. Then you have Mandarin, you have Cantonese. Mm -hmm. Then you have, you know, Vietnamese. I mean, Boston (laughs) public schools have so many different languages. And anybody that's gone to a Boston school committee meeting, you literally are choosing a language to be able to hear stuff in. And so when we're talking about literacy, we're also talking about a significant population that doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. So how do you, are you thinking about accommodating or that eventually and spreading out um, to those people?
3: That's not my focus right now, but of course it's a new initiative as you well know you're kind of learning as you go mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we're lighting up each of these cities all at the same time. So it's not like I did Boston first, then I'm doing Chicago, then I'm doing, we're doing them all together. So we're all learning on the same curve. We just know we need to do something and right. we're getting started now.
0: So let me ask you something and we got 10 minutes. See, I told you this was going by fast. <laughs> um, When we talk about the significant learning loss, Mm -hmm. in Boston, there were $430 million of Mm ESSER funds, federal funds, that was supposed to help ameliorate that, supposed to help address that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, who knows where that money has gone and if all that money is spent? And that's been one of the questions that was brought up at the school committee meetings. Like, do we have a running tally, a running total of where this money is going? Is it just going to people's salaries or is it actually getting down to the students? Is it going to put in... Um, ventilation units in the building or is it actually going to learning?
3: Well, see, the funny thing about that funding, I think only 20% of it had to be allocated for post-COVID learning crisis. So the rest of the money, the school could allocate it however they saw fit. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the big things about that. But I know Harvard University is doing a follow-up on that. So they'll be coming out with a report that says, here's how this place did this, how this place did that, how they're following all that stuff. So it's going to be very interesting.
0: As an educator, I know, I believe, the first educators are always in the home. Mm -hmm. And so what can parents do in the middle of them doing the post-COVID stuff Mm -hmm. and and all the COVID... um, Supports being taken away, mm. like extra food stamp money, mm-hmm. gone mm-hmm. March second. Um, any allowances in terms of remote learning, gone. Mm. The the industries and corporations want people to go back into the office.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Housing crisis in Boston is ridiculous. Boston's already oil
3: prices off the hook. Grocery prices, I mean,
0: stupid. So you've got parents who are just trying to keep a roof over their head mm-hmm. and keeping food, mm-hmm. but are no less interested in supporting their kids' education. Mm -hmm. What things can a parent do at home to Mm -hmm. support literacy?
3: I think that
0: vocabulary is huge.
3: Having a good dictionary, having your children read to you on a daily basis. My mother used to have me read the, the Boston Globe she would pick an arbitrary t- story in there and said, read it to me. So not only did I have to articulate the story, but I had to understand it. She said, because if you're reading something and you're just mouthing words, but you don't understand what the words say, you're still not doing anything. So that competency rate is uh, you know, really astute and astounding. And we really have to focus on that. We have to make sure that our children know how to read, write, and as Elma Lewis said, count the money.
0: S- Girl, <laughs> that's another whole show or two or three. <laughs> and then I think the other thing that you said earlier that I want to emphasize is have a library, have some books in your house. You got to have them. And then not gathering dust. Like exactly. your kids actually need to see you reading as well.
1: Yeah.
3: It's, it, it's best to read as a family, you know. Um, but one of the things that we are doing that the parents, the reason I put it at the hour that I did at the library was so that the parents could come as part of it but it also fit in the footprint of the Boys and Girls Club. Now, it's a little bit skewed because, say, the YMCA, they get out at 6, but the Boys and Girls Club get out at Mm 8. So I did it where it could fit in the footprint of both of them, so both sides of that ledger, you know, could participate.
0: That's a strategic planning again. (laughs) I got you. I got you. And so... Um, the other thing is, so so have books in your house. Have mm-hmm. a place that you can read. Yes. And sometimes that's like a window seat or a corner, some place where you can focus. I think the other thing is to I think turn the, off the electronics. The thing
3: is, is that you should have baskets of books in all kinds of different rooms. Is what you know we've been finding. I know in my bathroom I got,
1: oh, yeah. you know,
3: my living room. My, my dining room. I mean, I have books. Every, I got books in my bed. Lord have mercy. I wake up with books in my bed. It's it's cuckoo crazy. You should yeah. have books everywhere.
0: My husband used to tell me when I go to the bathroom, she says, she's going to the library. <laughs> knew I wouldn't be at, because that was a place I know where nobody would mess with you. Like exactly. nobody would bother you. You could focus and you could read whatever. Um, and so, you know, in turning off the electronics, mm-hmm. as an educator, I know that's an issue. That's it's, true. It's easy to sit there and let somebody feed you, Mm. but they're feeding you their bias, their viewpoint, their point of view, and their Mm. perspective, Mm -hmm. and something happens when, and and, you know, I tell people that, uh, I used to read the book and then go see the movie, and I was always disappointed. Oh, I know. And so, there are a lot of uh, movies, well, not a lot of movies being made, but there are movies now that are remakes of books, Mm. and my daughter, who's an avid reader, the Harry Potter series, like Mm -hmm. we literally had to go to the bookstores and we're, uh, we're waiting for the next one to come out. Like Mm -hmm. we're on in line for the next one to come out. Mm -hmm. So I made a habit of going to um, some of the bookstores and they're not paying me, so I'm not going to give you the name, Mm -hmm. but you could go in there and you get a cup of tea or some hot chocolate. Mm -hmm. My daughter was such an avid reader that I was spending money on books that she had already read before we left the bookstore. Wow. So I was like, grab the books that you like. We're going to sit down here, and you're going to read certain books. And Mm -hmm. then the ones that you really want to read, those are the ones I'm going to spend the money on. Yes. And so she got used to having her own books and then getting the series of the books Mm -hmm. and then getting other young people that were actually in these little book clubs. Mm -hmm. And they would talk about the characters and stuff like that.
3: Exactly. But I
0: also made a a concerted effort to shut off the technology Mm. so that she could focus Mm -hmm. and then talk to her about the difference between... um, You know, well, this is, uh, did you see the character, that character in the book? No, Mm -hmm. they really look like this in the book. And actually have them start processing the difference between their imagination Mm. and the reading and then how it was interpreted. Because I, you know, I do television and film and stuff like that. And so Mm -hmm. I saw the difference. It's like, that's how I saw that character. You really kind of. And so that's some of the things that the parents can do. Um, In terms of education, they can also join the parent side council, the school side council to advocate to have more curriculum. Um, that was refle- is reflective of your family and mm-hmm. your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tell me again, because we've got like five minutes, four <laughs> minutes left, the date of the next event that people can support it, and how do you sign up for it? Is it online? So is- you
3: sign up, uh, you can either call um, 855-WIN-ARTS, that's W-I-N-A-R-T-S, WIN-ARTS. And you can get on our website, the WitherspoonInstitute.org. Um, and you can go down to the library. Uh, you know, if you put your name down there, you can uh, certainly come to the event the day of. If you didn't have a chance to do either of those things on March 27th, from 4:30 to 7:30, uh, we are at the Boston Public Library. And then uh, each month we're there every month, so we have a, a calendar of events that's um, located at Frugal Bookstores. You can go down there and get our calendar at both the Boston Public Library as well as the
0: uh, Frugal Bookstores. Let's get lit, family. Although get lit has another connotation if you're in the wrong group of people. So get lit actually means literacy. Literacy. And be, lit, and be literate. Yes. And get, get literary. Get yes. lit. Now, and the and last, get excited. And get excited about reading um, and having books. Yes. And so the, other, the last thing is um, when are your books coming out?
3: That is such a good doggone question. <laughs> I started this journey getting my books together. I am one um, chapter away from my anthology coming okay. out. My anthology is waiting for me to finish the second act of my play called Wise, which is uh, something I'm actually going to have the students read because not only are we reading books, we're doing poetry. We're going to be reading plays. I'm going to have them do 10-minute plays. I'll have them reciting things. Um, it's not just about reading books. It's, it's the word in all its essence. We'll be taking them to the theater where words come alive. We want them to really you know, enjoy and, and, and um, become you know, our next poet, our next producer, you know, our dreamers. This is where dreams are fostered and made.
0: Thank you so much. I know I'm going to have to have you back. Um, The twenty seventh is the day after my birthday. I don't know. Your birthday's on the twenty sixth. On the twenty sixth. My birthday's on the twenty sixth. Well, I guess we're gonna be going somewhere celebrating. Come on, girl! (laughs) What what up? What up? That's amazing. So look at that! Great minds think (laughs) alike. Thank you guys for being here with you this evening. Thank my guest, Doctor. I'm gonna start calling you Doctor. Elder (laughs) Witherspoon, the founder and CEO of the Witherspoon, Witherspoon Institute. Get lit. March 27th at the uh, Roxbury Library in Nubian Square. Thank you for coming here with us this evening. We didn't have time for phone calls, and so my apologies for people that were thinking about, can I call in? 430 to 730, March 27th. Thank you. Hopefully you've been brought to another level. I'm Sharon Henson, your host. Have a good evening. Take care of yourself. Day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with, anything he believed in. One of the biggest, biggest in the United States Congress, he had the audacity
1: to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun.